Sometimes, sometimes, I have each of you in mind when I'm writing my sermons. Snippets of conversations, heartfelt questions, articles and books you've given me, and even unremarkable yet precious moments together inform the shape of my ideas and my research. Other times, I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Seeing an unwelcome pattern or puzzling out an issue. I consider these latter sermons ones where I let you listen in while I reset my compass. Although you often tell me it resets your compass, too. So today's sermon is for your minister who often crosses over a line into overworking and overfunctioning. It's an easy pattern to develop in a church, and not just for the minister. Churches fill our lives with fellowship, with a place to express every possible human emotion. When is this bounty a burden? When does church life become unhealthy? course, I'm not simply talking about church, but our work and home lives as well. When is too much, far too much? Overworking is easy to do in this culture. We worship the accomplishments of the individual. We value technology and instant access to each other, to information and to services. We act as if we are masters of time, stretching it and shaping it to fit all our desires. We get angry when stores are not open all night. No, wait. Shopping 24-7 on the internet has solved that problem. We get frustrated when we can't go where we want when we want. Public transportation is not just an expensive infrastructure for our city, but goes against our expectations of instant travel. Why take the time to walk to and from a bus stop. Oh wait, what bus stop? We can drive from our houses on expressways to arrive at any part of our city in less than 15 to 20 minutes. Our lives are built on convenience and speed. In the church's nod to a more relaxed time of summer, we're returning to a simpler worship In decades past, UU churches closed during the summer entirely. Instead, we pare down our activities to the essences. For example, we will still sing and make music each Sunday, but the choir takes a break. We will use a single order of service for the summer, giving staff and volunteers who spend hours creating printed and projected information a break, give us some space for planning for next year. And some classes and events stop or change during the summer. No matter how you feel about God, she sometimes gets it really right. 
the ancient scribes documenting her comings and goings report that she took serious time off after she had spent six busy days creating the cosmos, after using a deep, formless void to fashion light, dark, heaven, earth, animals, plants, and the forces to set that all in motion, she stopped. This pause in work became enshrined in life's rhythm by those early religious people. In my imagination, the ancient tribes didn't need to carve out a sacred pause in their weeks because life was simpler back then, right? They didn't sleep near their phones or answer emails in the oddest and craziest places and times. They didn't carry calendars filled to the brim. But history and the ancient scriptures tell me our human urges to overwork and accomplish are ageless. Our overdrive is not created by technology. Our modern age exacerbates our rushing and busyness. Instead, throughout history, we humans have to be told to rest, to take a break, pause, stop. The early creators and students of those Hebrew texts take the seventh day of rest very seriously. They enshrine it into the rhythms of their lives. God's example in Genesis is not enough, so in Exodus, she explicitly commands, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. As every musician knows, a rest, a pause in the music, is integral to the piece, just as integral as any note, more so. The Sabbath works the same way. It's not simply a break from working, but an integral part of the work. The wise Jewish teacher and activist Abraham Heschel writes about the value of the day of rest. Six days a week we seek to dominate the world, and on the seventh we try to dominate the self. When the Romans met the Jews and noticed their strict adherence to the law of abstaining from labor on the Sabbath, their only reaction was contempt. The Sabbath is a sign of Jewish laziness and indolence. Herschel is, is critical of the ancient Greeks and, and Roman philosophers who try to make some sense of this of the Israelite Sabbath by suggesting its purpose is to support even more activity. Aristotle claims we need relaxation because we cannot work continuously. Relaxation, then, is not an end. It is for the sake of activity, for the sake of gaining strength, for new efforts. I admit I am easily caught up in that faulty thinking. 
I often measure my life in tasks finished, lists complete, calls made, sermons written and given, meals cooked, beds made, meetings attended, and work done. If taking time off helps me get more done, often that is my motivation for stopping. I become exhausted. I long for a time and pace that feels more human. So Heschel calls me and all of us back to what he calls the biblical mind. With a biblical mind, the Sabbath is a true day of rest, a day of abstaining from toil. It is not for the purpose of recovering lost strength. It is not for becoming fit for upcoming labor. The Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. Humankind is not a beast of burden. The Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing efficiency of work. In fact, the Jewish book of prayer explains the exalted place given to the day of rest. The Sabbath last in creating First, in intention, the Sabbath comes at the end of creation of heaven and earth. The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It's not an interlude, but the climax of living. The higher goal of spiritual living is not to amass a wealth of information, but to face sacred moments, Heschel writes, resting and ceasing, allow us to remember what it's all for, to renew our bearing and orientation to life. Doing so helps fulfill the ultimate of our being. This pause and reset, this shalom, is not about self and certainly not about self-help. The Sabbath recognizes our limitedness, our energy and capacities are finite. Humility fuels a commitment to the Sabbath. A consistent day of rest ends our grasping for control. With time to behold creation, we glimpse our relationship to its unfolding. I'm, I'm critical of our Unitarian Universalist reforming tradition from time to time, and we have reformed out the window life-supporting traditions like Sabbath. Fear of anything related to sloppy thinking or supernatural craziness interrupts us from holding fast to some profoundly valuable ancient tools. Our Protestant and secular dismissal of a Sabbath tradition robs us from pushing against deadening and cruel aspects of fast-paced society. It impacts social policy through quietness, rest, and contemplation. The human soul becomes equipped to help others, the helpless the homeless, the outcast, and the needy. 
we always need to grow a wholeness out of which kindness is deepened. We're impatient with natural processes. Who has time to mourn or celebrate or recover? Get back to work. Now. Luckily, I'm not alone. Many see the need to reinstate a Sabbath and to support it. The Wall Street Journal commented on Germany's quiet Sundays. This uber-efficient country which puts more restrictions on Sunday activities than nearly all its neighbors and the U.S. virtually shuts down. Laws regulating shopping hours and noise levels mean stores shut, lawnmowers fall silent, and woe unto him who flips the switch on an electric tool. Anyone considering undertaking outdoor chores or home improvements will be in for a a surprise because regulations limit noise level, limiting the use of electric tools like drills and leaf blowers, loud music. You can't even throw away or recycle glass because you know how noisy that is? It's banned. And trucks are banned because they're noisy. One of my favorite New York Times columnists, Mark Bittman, writes about his need for a virtual timeout, a secular Sabbath, he calls it. He describes his experiment staying away from work and technology this way. I would no more make a new agey call to find inner peace than I would encourage a return to the mimeograph. But I do believe that there has to be a way to regularly impose some thoughtfulness or at least calm into modern life. Or at least my version. Once I moved beyond the fear of being unavailable and what it might cost me, I experienced what, if I wasn't such a skeptic, I would call a lightness of being. I felt connected to myself rather than my computer. I had time to think and distance from normal demands. I got to stop. Dancer and memoirist Barbara Dilley talks about self-retreats. A designated timeout gives us a chance to breathe, feel our feet on the ground, to listen to the sounds of silence, to look up at the stars. Coughed myself off. Free of social obligations and techno-gizmos. The point of much prayer as well as meditation is to create self-retreats throughout the day. When I sit on my meditation cushion... I coach myself to relax, not only about my body, but my mind. I tell myself, for this moment, I give myself permission. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to solve anything, plan anything, or think anything. It's a freeing and exhilarating feeling. It interrupts my worn habits of thinking. 
It dispels the silly notion that I have to do or fix it all. And then I try to remember to bring that freedom into my day. Learning to find regular moments of Sabbath within our daily routines is vital, but I'm certain setting aside a whole day, a complete 24-hour cycle, is essential. And it's best when shared with countless others, with families, friends, and your whole community. It becomes a season, a respite with a beginning and an end, a space to focus on the things in life that are important but not urgent. I'm sure busy parents with young children may be dismissive. Sure. Get my two-year-old to stop for 24 hours. I can't even take a shower some days, much less have a 24-hour Sabbath. But I think that's the point, that a designated day of Sabbath forces us to find ways to adapt and adjust during the different periods in our lives, slowing down varies with each stage of life. I seldom napped when my children did. Instead, I raced around trying to get things done. And I would reconsider that choice now. I can't tell you what I got done. Some families and communities are creating do-nothing days so they can stay home and learn that quiet time can be a better activity than driving everyone everywhere. It means playing in the yard, sharing a board game, or just taking a walk. So I plan to reclaim the Sabbath for myself. For you, too. One sermon won't change the church or American culture, but it's where to begin. May it be so.